You're listening to Remote Possibilities, a podcast on the intersection of technology, society, and education, brought to you by MarketScale. Now here's your host, Kevin Hogan. Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Remote Possibilities, the podcast that explores the promise and the perils of distance learning. I'm your host, Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. With me today is Colin Ernst, CEO of LearnWell. For nearly 20 years, Colin's work in the field of education has been driven by a deep commitment to help every student achieve academic growth, regardless of their abilities, background, or circumstances. He joined LearnWell in 2019 as CEO to help the company continue its growth and expansion in support of the LearnWell mission. Colin joined LearnWell after serving for seven years at Lexia Learning, uh, which is owned by Rosetta Stone, as Vice President of Marketing and Strategy, where he helped scale the business from 1 million to 3.5 million students and quadrupled the company's revenue. Prior to Lexia, Colin served as Corporate Vice President at HMH and was a strategic consultant to major education companies including Pearson, Zaner Blozer, and Global Partnership Schools. LearnWell partners with hospitals and treatment facilities, K-12 school districts, and families to support mental health wellness. Its integrated set of academic and mental health services are offered throughout the the continuum of care to address emerging mental health needs, promote academic wellness during treatment, and support the transition back to school environment following treatment. And Colin, uh, your work is is obviously more important than ever these days. Uh, Welcome and thanks for joining us here at Remote Possibilities. Yes, thanks Kevin. Glad to be with you. And yeah, it's, it's Timely right now. I wish um, I wish we could talk about anything else, football, <laughs> the weather, <laughs> something. Uh, but it, you know, as I enter you know, podcast number forty forty one here, um, we're still talking about the response to the pandemic and and how it has uh, affected everyone's lives, not only the students but parents and faculty and administrators and, and us and. Um, uh, I wanted to have you on specifically for some recent uh, data that you have, uh, your company, LearnWell, has unearthed um, as a result of the pandemic and asking folks about mental health. So I, I, gave, I gave a poor description of LearnWell, but maybe you want to give your description and, and lead off by talking about uh, your most recent survey. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Kevin. So LearnWell, our purpose is to improve the lives of those facing mental health needs by providing equitable access to counseling and academic services. And we've been doing this for more than 20 years in academics and counseling and bringing together a more comprehensive offering through a recent acquisition. And we're really kind of relaunching the K-12. Um, you, you mentioned some of the challenges, um, many challenges that we're seeing in, in the midst of this pandemic. But when I think about, uh, there's a number of aspects of this pandemic that really, requires us or, or prompted all of us to reframe our thinking mm. on a number of things. And I think mental health is really one of those. Um, this is a significant need that has been, uh, has always been around. I think there's heightened awareness and heightened need, unfortunately, but heightened awareness and different ways that uh, I, I think school communities and, and families in general are engaging. Um, as I mentioned, we, we did some recent research on the needs. Um, before I share some of that, just some, some broader context 
in terms of the increased need and, and the limit of access to services. So in a, in a normal year, in a normal educational setting, 49% of students will have some sort of diagnosable mental health need during their K-12 career. Wow. And, and many of those kind of go untreated. So that the data show that 60% of students with depression and 80% of students with anxiety go untreated. Staggering. That is staggering, yeah. And, you know, like, like so much in the field of education and, and, and the medical field, early intervention is key in order to avoid some more significant difficulties down the road. So that's really one of our main areas of focus. How do we help students throughout this process? Um, and as you said, it's widely believed that the pandemic is creating a dramatically higher need for mental health services based on the trauma that, uh, that families are experiencing, whether it's things as you know, uh, kind of widespread as just the, the feeling of loss in terms of some of your school or high school experiences being you know, different or, or not happening this year, right? right. That, that, that change is difficult. But it could be more significant in terms of families experiencing job loss, which is widespread, or, or, or being affected by the illness, or, or even those losing loved ones to this disease. Right. Um, we're also seeing a, a higher rate, but a lower rate of reporting, higher rate of incidence, yeah. but lower rate of reporting of domestic abuse as, as families and, and people are, are really spending a lot more time in closed quarters, um, as well as the, the impact of, of racial inequity. Yep, and the lack of social justice that's affecting millions and millions of, of families and and not and not getting better. So when, when you when you put all those things together, there's just this dramatic increase in need. Um, but you know, as, as some of the research that we did with educators, um, there's some challenges in meeting that. So I, I could share some of those details if you like. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, we we reached out to school leaders, principals, and student service administrators uh, across the country and ask some questions about how they're feeling about mental health needs for their students. And what we heard was mental health needs were the second most important issue they feel they face this year. Second most important, second only to COVID infection protocols. That's what I was going to ask. What was the first? I mean, I've also heard that you know food being able to get food is, is, is a big one at the top there. But yeah, the, the COVID, obviously. Yeah, yeah food and, and the, the academic slide that's experienced, especially for some of our lower income uh, students, those are all dramatic. And, and to see mental health raised so high on, on the radar is, is certainly very telling. Yeah. Um, but what, what the administrators also shared in the survey was that 90% thought that, was, that mental health was more important this year than last year, mm. a very high number, but also it was less than a third that felt confident in the process for supporting students' increased needs. Hmm. Interesting. Is that because of the uh, the shift to remote and hybrid? I mean, that the district's... It, weren't set up for this sort of uh, dynamic? Yeah, I think that's certainly one of the factors I, as, as um, you know, the, the daunting task. And I think our educators are doing a great job of adapting to all this. I think this is one of those examples where there, there, there may have been systems in place for supporting mental health needs uh, for a prisoner that's in person. Yeah. But just the pathways and the systems are completely shifted 
in a hybrid or, or fully online model that makes it more difficult. Um, but I think what, what kind of um, further complicates that is that the, the amount of resources, again, in a typical setting for, uh, for student mental health services are generally um, insufficient in, in many schools. I mean, listen, our, our mental health staff in our schools are, are, are dedicated they're skilled and they're focused on on students' needs, but again, it's something that that many school districts don't have the resource to invest. Yeah, and, and they end up uh, unfortunately having to just triage the most severe needs versus a, being able to focus on some of that early intervention, which again, which is is so important. The nationally, the the National Association of School Psychologists estimates that the the ratio of students to mental health professionals is about two to three x higher than it should be hmm. said so, and, and as you said so that the focus may be being on extreme um extreme cases right or extreme circumstances where just someone with a run-of-the-mill depression uh it would not be getting even any attention exactly and, and understandable that that the, the triage needs to go to those most you know, severe and, and disruptive and dangerous, where there may be a, a risk of self-harm, that, that, that the attention would go there. So what LearnWell's purpose is to really provide a supplement and support to the work that these, these phenomenal educators and mental health service workers in the schools are doing and enable them to reach further into the student population to identify mental health needs, those emerging mental health needs, uh, and, and help provide some early intervention there. Yeah, some of the uh, interesting conversations I've had with uh, school district superintendents, uh, which were kind of surprising at first, but now it seems to be a trend, is they're finding um, that the remote setup can also have some advantages to where you're learning more about students than you may not have learned otherwise. And that comes down to the use of uh Zoom rooms where you you can kind of even peek behind the kids' shoulders and see what their home life is like, right? And it also gives educators the opportunity to be a little bit more intimate with each student as opposed to just having 30 kids sitting in front of them in a classroom. I mean, it's kind of a um, an inverse kind of relationship there. But uh, what, what any comments on that? Yeah, it's, it's a great example of how how the situation that we're in has reframed how we engage and reframed how we think about some of the uh, the benefits, like you said, having a window into that student's home life, having a different way to engage sometimes one-on-one. And by embracing um, virtual technology and, and the teleconference kind of technology has really given us different ways that we may have been unable to engage because it wasn't scalable and, and couldn't provide the the time, attention, or sometimes the specialized resources yeah. in a scalable fashion in, in schools in general. Another uh, aspect of that is, um, and as a parent, I, I relate, <laughs> is the, uh, you know, kind of diving in with uh, my students' uh, school experience remotely, right? I'm now an adjunct professor for, for my two sons. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but then um, that also kind of engages um, where the parents are in terms of, of mental health as well, right? Is, is that something that kind of helps in terms of engaging um, a student in in their own journey? 
Yeah, well, like we said, certainly the, the window into the into the home life is is valuable from a a, uh, a therapy standpoint. Um, but to pick up on a comment you made, oftentimes we find that that parents also have mental health needs. Maybe they maybe they uh, are affected by a similar kind of condition, or maybe just the um, the burden. Yeah. Uh, of supporting a student, uh, especially if a student has a more um, more significant needs, that that can weigh on on the parents or guardians, and oftentimes they benefit from uh, mental health counseling and, and talk therapy, as well as you know as you know we're talking about the adults in the lives of the students, the teachers as well. Many of the districts we've talked to, uh, some of our conversation has gone to okay. How can we provide support to our teacher community? Yeah. Who they're facing a daunting and, um, you know, a daunting situation with with great courage, um, but the stress has to be pretty significant. So, talk a little bit about how you have shifted or or, or pivoted your services uh, to this remote setup. You know, I, I talk about BP and. Uh, hopefully AP before the pandemic and after it, we're 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 DP right now. Um, but did you have um, remote techniques set up uh, before all this madness started? Yeah, what's what's been interesting is that uh, we had set out a, a path about a year ago in our our growth and expansion of the LearnWell business to not only add counseling to to the portfolio of services we we offer but to to be a much more tech-enabled company. Mm. And our growth model uh, for our counseling business included a significant focus on uh, virtual counseling, so doing counseling through a a face-to-face, real-time engagement via HIPAA-compliant video conference uh, because you can reach more students and and scale more broadly, but also uh, doing video modality in terms of one-to-one tutoring and the tutoring we do in, in the classrooms, I can, I can give a bit of context to our service in a moment if you like. But, sure. Um, this is what's been interesting about it is that we had a, a business model that we were pursuing uh, that had a much heavier virtual component. And now certainly because of the circumstances in the world um, across the board, whether it's schools, families, or, or the hospital partners we work with to really embrace online learning, in some cases out of necessity. Yeah. Um, and helped us move further and faster in, in what our, our plans were. And I'll assume that there's um, some scaling involved <laughs> since Absolutely. March. <laughs> scaling and new infrastructure and, you know, this this moving a little more quickly than we had anticipated, but uh, we're, we're glad that we were on this path and can step up to, to meet uh, you know, some of the needs that are existing. Um, you, why don't I kind of frame out how we think about those needs and, and that might give you some, some context. Yeah. Um, you know, we, it, in terms of the care and support of the students receiving mental health services, we think about uh, their world in terms of a, a continuum of care. And there's, there's three main phases of that continuum of care. First is those students with emerging mental health needs, as we talked about before, they may not be so so dramatically severe, but they're starting to show signs of struggle and sleeplessness or concern or anxiety and our ability to identify and support those emerging needs through counseling services early on will be critical. So we're, as I said, we're doing that primarily through uh, that uh, 
online, you know, the, the virtual modality in, in serving students. What we also find, Kevin, in terms of those uh, emerging needs is that a mental health struggle is often accompanied by academic struggle, hmm. which is why for a number of years we've provided uh, mental health uh, students with a, a one-to-one tutoring service, which we, we had already shifted that to an online modality uh, last year to help students to ensure they don't fall behind as they're dealing with a number of things in front of them uh, in terms of their, their mental health care. So ideally, we're able to really support a lot of students uh, who have emerging needs and prevent them requiring treatment in a hospital or a treatment facility. Now, of course, for, for some students, uh, that, that may be the, the course of treatment that's appropriate for them to, to be admitted to a psychiatric hospital or a treatment facility. That could be an inpatient or a residential or, a, or an outpatient or what they call partial hospitalization. And um, you know, when they are receiving treatment in, in a treatment facility or a hospital, what we do is provide academic support hmm. for them while they're out because that treatment will last anywhere between one to four, five, six weeks in some cases as they work through that continuum of care in, in, uh, in the hospital environment. Right. And what our focus there is to be sure they don't fall behind. Uh, you know, when you think about, for many students, school is their trigger uh, for, for their for their different mental health needs. Yeah. School is that trigger. So can we help not only normalize the experience for them as they're receiving treatment and, and at a pretty dire point in their life, sure. to be candid, uh, can we normalize that by keep by continuing the, the continuity of their, of their academics so they don't fall farther behind, so they don't return to school weeks behind uh, and be that kid who needs unwanted additional attention uh, to help them catch back up. So what we're doing in these situations, we're, we're actually partnering with the district and the hospital and obtaining the students' assignments uh, that their peers are working on. So remember when you were a kid and you were homesick, they sent your assignments home? Yeah. Well, we're doing a similar thing. We're actually reaching out to the district and, and obtaining the assignments so, so students can stay up to speed with the curriculum their peers are working on and hopefully not not miss much of a step at all. And Is there any thought, all, or not to interrupt, yeah. but I will. <laughs> uh, as I as I sit here and, and my well, one son's at school, the other one is remote right now. Is there any involvement of kind of synchronous remote learning like to the classroom or are we talking about situations where uh, these students are in, in treatment and maybe not uh, able to have that sort of experience? Yeah, exactly. It's going to vary based on on the level of treatment they're receiving, the, what their particular diagnosis is. So we do work with some partners, uh, some hospital partners, where we're able to actually uh, tap into what their you know their Google Classroom may, may be. But in most cases, based on the the, treat, the type of treatment facilities we're working with, it's going to be something where they're actually they are either not using technology at all, okay, again based on the setting, or they're not able to engage with that with that classroom curriculum. So that's so that's why asynchronous, the, the, right? That's that's one of the t- the terms of the twenty twenty synchronous versus asynchronous right. learning. That's right. It may be asynchronous, and it may also be offline mm. as well as asynchronous. Not that you can't have asynchronous; it isn't offline. But uh, you get the point. Yep, yep. So when you look at these. Um, new techniques, whether they're asynchronous or, or synchronous. Um, and as we point and look towards AP 
after pandemic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many of these things do you think are going to stick? I mean, are th- are these all kind of just measures that we're doing to kind of like keep going, or are these actually going to turn into innovations that improve uh, both mental health services as well as just teaching and learning in general? I think the vast majority of these, at least in terms of the learn well world, the vast majority of these things stick. And that, that the reframing that, that this pandemic has kind of forced us all to do in our world um, has, has accelerated how we embrace technology and how we can provide greater access. And, and for us, that's a really fundamental aspect of our business is that equity of access. Mm. And, and that's one of the things that the pandemic has forced all of us to do is think about how do we get access um, in a remote setting, right? When, when we right. can't be person to person or can't be um, person to person as frequently. And that, that really is a constant, particularly when you think about mental health services and education for students receiving that. Um, first and foremost, there's the, just the knowledge of, of the availability right. of these kinds of services right. that now we're, we're creating the pathways to be able to communicate with school communities, as well as the backlog of, of um, cases, right? So when we talk to districts, sometimes they say that the, um, the waiting list for one of their students to see a social worker yeah. is two or three months. Oh my God. Two or three months. Um, and that's because in, in a lot of cases, it's, it's, it's face-to-face and, and as a private practice, we have a little more bandwidth there. And as a, as a society, when we use technology in this fashion, we can match student with a specific need much more quickly yeah. and get help that much faster. Well, and just as we sit here using this technology, I'm sitting here with this little snowball microphone. Uh, and to, just to get you on the line uh, as a busy person for a half an hour, um, once these technologies are in place, it, it can happen, right? So the, the number of kids maybe at a two-month or a three-month waiting list, maybe a, a, someone can see three times the number of students over the course of a day. Exactly. And, you know, that's – I'm optimistic about the the AP, if, to use your term, yeah. uh, because um, we'll be that much farther along as a, as a, uh, as a as an industry and as a country, really, in terms of the extent to which students um, are comfortable using, engaging this fashion, although students are, have typically been ahead of the rest of us on tech, but engaging with adults using tech, uh, how our, our teachers and our, and our therapists become more, even more adept at using technology and, and creating a, a personalized experience for, for students. And they get ultimately to provide more access. I, I think about students who are in you know rural locations um, who typically don't get the academic or, or the counseling support they may need because the the only way we used to do that was face to face right or, or the predominant way because I know there's a lot of great providers providing distance learning um, this opens more pathways there and, and reduces some of the barriers to service that I think has created inequity um, especially with respect to uh, mental health services. Also, and I'll, I'll I'll pipe in my my thoughts about this too. The idea of uh, both empathy of people like caring about each other, asking how they're doing, how they're feeling, as well as just the, the you know the the stigma of mental health 
uh, I think has shifted a lot because, I mean, there's not a single person on the planet who hasn't been traumatized somehow, maybe you know, it, to varying degrees, but everyone has been affected by this. And everyone's kind of recognizing like, wow, what is this I'm feeling right now, this dread, <laughs> right? Uh, so yeah. you, you can do that. And, and the second thing is, um, as we were saying a little bit before, uh, the communication of the video uh, you can have intimate conversations that you might even be uncomfortable having face to face, right? I mean, I know just with parent teacher meetings that I've had and other, you know, kind of guidance counselor meetings, when you're when you're in somebody's office, there's a power dynamic. There's you know, you get uncomfortable, you can get sheepish. It seems for me anyway that it's easier to talk about stuff um, through through Zoom. Yeah, you know, it's a really interesting point. We found that as we shifted to online, how quickly, and even with even some, in some cases, higher level enthusiasm students had engaging online. I think there's a lot of truth to what you're saying, Kevin, in terms of uh, it being a more comfortable way to engage for, for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, I remember as a kid being sent to the guidance counselor, and I was nervous, right? Um, but right. if you know, maybe if you're hooking up on a, a, a Google Hangout, it doesn't have to be as intimidating. Yeah, you know, in, in the in the counseling world, there's uh, oftentimes uh, patients get cold feet, yeah, because they have to actually make that walk into the office, yeah, and sometimes they get cold feet and don't show up that first day. And it's very real. It's very understandable. Yeah. But but like you said, it, this is a more comfortable. I can be I can be on my couch or in my bedroom or wherever I'm most comfortable, having conversations. Or as a student, I can be in whatever my setting is. You know, if I'm working with my teacher or my peers, I can be a comfortable setting. Um, because of course, not every student is is comfortable in in a typical school setting. Uh, right. In a non-pandemic, so I think it's an excellent point. And I want to go back to your point about destigmatizing, and I think that was really really key because this has it's well it's raised the level of need yeah it's also raised the level of awareness and acceptance and that's that's traditionally a bear i think we still have some work to do destigmatizing mental health it's mental health care is still somewhat taboo in, in a lot of communities yeah um despite the need being so broad and the benefit being so clear so by creating more pathways and, and educating ourselves and our school communities um, about the need and normalizing it, I think it'll be really important. But some, some important step forward, which again is a one of the positive um, reframing that we're all in the midst of. Yeah. Well, Colin, your work is uh, hugely important, uh, especially now, and um, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to step away from it uh, to talk to us about it. I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and, and move it forward together. Great. And uh, thanks to the listeners for tuning into this episode of Remote Possibilities. Uh, I hope you click around and find another episode soon.